In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations. Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. My name is Hunter Mulcair. And I'm Amy Donaldson. This is a podcast all about psychology. On this episode tonight, we are continuing on with our therapists in movies and television. We did an episode just previously on that, and we had lots of fun, and we thought in the week after it, Amy and I were texting each other and saying, hey, what about this one and that one? So we just decided, you know what? Hey, let's just do another one. Hmm. It's, it's it's summer. We should uh, have an easy time of it. It's surprisingly easy to find another 10 that worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what we're going to do on the show tonight is we are going to go through 10 or 11 clips of therapists in movies that are doing therapy or some type of therapy, (laughs) and we're going to discuss what happens in them and what we sort of think about what goes on. It's kind of interesting to look at this stuff because it sort of brings alive therapy. You know, a lot of the time Amy and I talk and it's quite clinical, it's quite cold, so it's interesting to sort of have a look at, you know, some of the emotions that we do deal with as therapists mm. and also it's kind of interesting to look at different styles and critique them yeah. things like that what did you enjoy about doing it last time i think the breadth of different styles and ways of working but that also even for the ones that were comedic there were elements in it where i saw myself or saw what my sessions sometimes can look like just going hmm <laughs> I, I, I always i always watch therapists on comedy shows particularly yeah. and there's one later on i sometimes realize i'm modeling myself off yeah <laughs> like, like i want to be the deadpan therapist yeah. at, at times yeah so just before we get onto that if you think of a episode of TV or is a scene in a film that you think would be good for us to cover, twoshrinkspod at gmail.com or at twoshrinkspod on Twitter. You can follow us there. And we also have a website, twoshrinkspod.com, and you can check us out. Check out all our past episodes there. They're arranged by episode number and also by episode topic. So, you know, if you're wanting to find something on personality disorders or on, uh, you know, research about Christmas or things like mm-hmm. that, You can have a look at that. That's lots of fun and nice and hopefully easy to use. Mm -hmm. So, should we get started? Yes. The first one I've got is Web Therapy, which is improvised TV series with a character called Fiona Wallace, who has trained in business and worked in a sort of corporate world and then has decided that she's going to set up her therapy practice with very little training. And in the process of which she decides that the majority of the work happens in the last three minutes of a session. And so she's not going to offer 50-minute sessions. She's going to offer three-minute online sessions to people. (laughs) And so what we're about to see now is a clip of her first session with a meditation practitioner. What's interesting about that, though, is actually I read something about doing short sessions Mm. and the psychiatrist, he experimented for a while on shortening sessions with people. Mm. And when you say to somebody, I've got, I don't have an hour, I've got 15 minutes, let's get to it, hmm. then you can actually be incredibly effective. Yeah. It is actually interesting. We sort of fill the space that we know is allowed. Yeah. When yeah. As a junior therapist, I was someone that frequently ran over time because hmm. I was like, oh no, but we're just about to get to the bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's interesting. Like, and especially when a lot of times people do come out with something that's important in those last oh, few yeah. minutes. Yeah. And it's so tempting to then go, well, we may as well just stay for a bit longer because we're finally there yeah. rather than going, why is it that it's come up now? Yeah. Or why yeah. is it that you need to say this before you bolt? Anyway, so let's play the episode. Yeah. I, 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 I'm a very centered woman. Yes. I consider myself, you know, very at one with the vibration of the earth. Okay. Um, but lately, I've, I've been struggling. Oh. And I have, I, I occasionally have a very uncomfortable feeling arise in my body. Um, it makes me very warm. Mm -hmm. And um, I sort of lose um, my, my composure a bit. Oh. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's, I, 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 I get, I, I, I hope that people die when this happens. I hope that, I, I don't know, I don't know what to call it. Anger, I call it anger. No, it's definitely not anger. Okay. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fucking meditation teacher. Right. You know, I, I teach, I, my business is peace. I'm not, it's not anger. Okay. You know, that's Good. exactly what Barbara said to me. Okay. And it's it's just not. I mean, it's just impossible that it would be anger. Okay, then maybe it's um, not anger, but anger's cousin rage. First of all, I didn't. You know, the, the purpose of this session is not to call me names. You know, you're supposed to be helping me through. I I don't have rage. Right, but I wasn't saying that you are rage. I wasn't calling you. If I were to call you names, I would. You know say other things yes well i i but i'm not because I i'm being a good listener i don't identify with that i'm very loving i'm a very calm loving surface of a lake ow god okay. damn it oh my bell just hang on i need to all better now oh god Oh, thank you. Thank oh, you're welcome. I'm happy I could help. You you really are helpful. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's um I love how quickly it escalates and that she doesn't seem to be, you know, cautious about what she's saying or kind of reflective really. She's there's sort of a smart ass element there of that sort of, you know, the the cousin of anger being rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, I mean, I don't know. Have you had that experience as a therapist? Where someone just... Where, where you've said, well, it sounds like you're angry and you've had that. I'm yeah. not angry. Yeah. 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 A lot. Yeah. And yeah, I have had that a lot, particularly with anger and sometimes with fear. There's a couple of things where people just go, nope, I'm not willing to acknowledge that that's what it is. And it can be quite hard, especially if they immediately flare up like that, to yeah. then reflect it back to them in a way that's acknowledging that it's hard for them to understand that they are feeling anger or to accept that they're feeling anger. Yeah. But at the same time, not going, oh, okay, then that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Because it's obvious that they are. It's funny to listen to, but what's interesting about it is it actually gets to the fact that people often don't understand mm. what their emotions are and, mm. and anger is a common one where people won't actually realize that they're angry mm. but all other people around them will know but all that there's kind of an idea about identity or what's allowed with anger she says she's she can't be angry because she's a meditation specialist rather than i don't feel angry it's that's not something that's possible for me that's right yeah and 
I think you see that a lot about those kind of rules of when you can express it or if you can feel it or all of those kind of things. Well, cancer patients who I work with, Mm. right, they're like, oh, I've got to be positive. Yeah. And I'm not allowed to not be positive. Yeah. There's this erroneous belief that being positive um, improves your survival. Mm. There's no evidence. not the case. At the moment. Or they believe that they just need to be positive and and not let Mm. slide down for everybody. Mm. And that is very harmful. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah. What have we got next? The one that I'm going to show is from amazing Australian TV show called Kath and Kim. And if you are an overseas listener and you've not checked it out, check out Kath and Kim. It's it's absolutely fabulous. And I also just have an urge to say, but we're not like that. <laughs> but we are. <laughs> but but when we're not. It's a show that really gets at Australian culture mm. and if you're Australian it's, it's cringe cringeworthy really. but yeah. so glorious at the same time mm. anyway so Kath and Kim are just a very average couple in the suburbs and they've they're having some sexual difficulties mm. and they've gone to see a I'm not even sure that she's a therapist I think later on yeah <laughs> she, she's a parody of a therapist like later on she like actually reveals that she's got no training mm. <laughs> but in this scene she's using what's called a projective test the, the classic ink blots. Yeah, Rorschach. And, and uh, you can see how it might be employed. I don't know what we're doing here, Kel. It's very embarrassing. What's so embarrassing about a couple of baby boomers who can't get their rocks off? What could she tell me about connubial sexuality? I mean, look at her. She looks like a nun. Don't shush me. Okay, well, Kel has told me all about your little problem. And the good news is that it is easily fixed. Okay. I'm going to show you some cards now, and I want you to tell me what you see. A couple making love. Two dead sticks. And this one? What do you see here? A man and a woman locked in a passionate embrace. A wetex and a squeegee. Okay, good. Let's try another approach. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm assuming you use the Rorschach on a day-to-day basis. I do not use use projective tests. The the university I went to was very Mm. anti-projective tests. Mm. There was long discussions about reliability and validity. Mm. Although recently there's been some research supporting the use of inkblots. It's just the way you use it isn't what it was initially designed to be used so the the projective test is like so what's happening there is that the therapist is showing these images that are really just sort of nondescript Mm. ink blots and you're listening to the response and you would use that to engage you know and you can kind of quite clearly see you know there's one person who's got their mind on sex and the other one is very very far away from sex Mm. and it can be I guess a way of engaging people or having discussion and things like that so Mm. do do you ever use Projective yep. stuff. No. I use creative things or drawing or stuff like that with kids. Yeah. You which, use play therapy. Though. And I use play therapy. But I guess I always add the layer of asking them what they think it means or what they think it's about rather than just jotting down, oh, well, they did this, so that must mean Yeah, so this. You, you use it to inquire. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. Yeah, the stories that you've told me about that the child will build something out of Lego mm. that, and then the characters in that resemble family you know there'll be one person doing something that's clearly what their parent is doing or exactly like yeah 
Yeah. Or they'll do a drawing of their family and they'll put one family member in a cage off to the side or turn one family member in an, into an animal or something like that. And it's kind of like, why is everybody else having fun over here? Meanwhile, stepmum's an owl that's off to the side and you're ripping yeah. her off the paper and yeah. hiding her. Like, <laughs> there's something going on here that you can't quite put words to. Let's actually or, talk or, through the story. Or they're, or they're trying to communicate it to yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Uh, I thought a question I had was, do you have a therapy voice? Like, a <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but I think that when someone's distressed, I go softer. Yeah. And I also do a bit of, there's a, there's a particular trauma strategy that involves using making your voice go up and down like talking to a baby mm-hmm. and I do that and I have to make sure that I don't look like I'm taking myself too seriously when I do it because yeah. I think I run the risk of yeah I th- I'm pretty sure I have a therapy voice yeah. at certain times yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh well next one okay so the next one the next one we've got is pure which is a TV series that came out this year about a woman named Marnie who has been having symptoms of OCD for about a year. She has intrusive sexual thoughts about just about everyone and she's recently started therapy and so I think this is her third or fourth session. So she has so obsessive compulsive disorder, mm. you have uh, an intrusive thought that can be about almost anything. It's usually something that's incongruent with who you are it's kind of distressing yeah so yeah. you know it could be about uh, contamination mm. and fears of you know being contaminated and then your compulsive behavior would be to say wash yeah wash your hands what's her compulsive behavior uh she does a whole bunch of cognitive compulsions so they're Which things in like layman's terms Amy. yeah <laughs> so it's things like thinking I won't do that, I shouldn't do that, and sort of convincing herself that she shouldn't do it. Yep. Yeah, most of the time it's sort of her trying to rationalise that she's not that person and repeating that over and over and over again. How I am with people is because of my OCD. It makes me a shit person and I'm going to be shit until I'm better, so it's just like, when is that? Because I've had three sessions now and I thought I was going to feel better than this. What do you think... Being better means. I'll be a better person when I don't have these thoughts and wonder what they mean and who I am. The problem isn't the thoughts, though. It's the way they make you feel and the shame you have about them. That's why we need to find a way for you to have a different relationship I, with them. I don't want a relationship with them. I want them to go away. That's why I'm here. That's what I'm paying for. Having absurd thoughts is part of being human. If you got rid of them completely, you'd be brain dead. I just want you to tell me when they'll stop and when I'll be better so I can stop worrying about dying alone because I'm such a shit person. Therapy is not going to help you get rid of your thoughts. And the more you try to do that, the more you'll have and the more distressed you'll get. So I'm always going to have them. I know you're looking for a definitive answer. I am going to get better, though. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't give you that. Okay. Some, you have thoughts. I have thoughts about that. This is your clip. Should we go with your, with your thoughts first? No, let, let's start with yours because you look like you can't contain oh yourself. Oh, my God. So, my thoughts are that this therapist has completely blown her chance of explaining the treatment rationale for OCD. Mm-hmm. So, she's explained it incorrectly. 
as far as I'm concerned. What she should have said, you have these thoughts and what we need to change is your reaction to them because when you change your response to them, mm. then that will actually help reduce the incidence of the impulsive or obsessional thoughts mm-hmm. that come through. Yeah. And so the thoughts can actually reduce mm. by changing the way in which you respond to them mm. and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Also, she didn't validate her. <laughs> no. I agree. She didn't validate her. I would have been like, wow, so it sounds like you've really been worrying about not getting better. Mm between this session and the last session. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And what happened with that? That sounds awful. What happened, you know, mm. like, <laughs> what are your thoughts? I think the reason why I wanted to include this clip is the last bit. And I think that, you know, a lot of the time the people that I work with, they don't have any hope that things are going to change or they think I'm going to be screwed up forever. And a lot of the time I feel like some of the job of being a therapist is to hang on to that hope, to hang on to that idea that something can change. It might not be, you know, 100% everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows, but that kind of feeling of I believe that something can change for you and I'm working towards that Mm. can be a really important thing for people. And often at times when people go, well, I can't have hope that something will change, I ask permission to hang on to that sort of hope for them and kind of go, is it okay if I'm hopeful that something can change? And so I think, well, I get the kind of managing expectations side of things of going, you know, sometimes you have to say, well, you're never going to completely get rid of the flashbacks or it might be that they still come in later. Mm. That's a different thing than saying, I can't guarantee that you're going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's my thing of it. I immediately. Like third session as well. Like, yeah. you know, like if you've tried and failed. The other thing is, is, you know, there's an earlier <laughs> clip in this where they have their first session And in the first session, the therapist focuses on instilling hope. And she says, these things are very treatable and you can get better. And then four sessions later, she's going, I can't say that you're going to get better. And I think as the the client, someone would be completely gutted by that. It would feel like you've taken the rug out from underneath Yeah, but it's been like, like like what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Now that you've gotten to know more, you've decided there's no hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And back on your point, like, it is the therapist's job mm. to be, if nothing else, your client should leave your room in a state where they feel that they can cope mm. or that, that things can change mm. or that they can cope with the fact that things can't. Yeah. And neither of those things were happening. But also no. she was doing it incorrectly. <laughs> like I know. With the, anyway. Yeah. Our professor at university would have had lots of thoughts about that. I think... I mean, you could make the argument that she was using more of a acceptance and commitment therapy approach of like accepting where things are, but I because it has that cognitive element to it, I also think it's act, sort of but missing I don't think it. Act is validated for CBT for, uh, for OCD? OCD. No, and uh, despite what act therapists will say yeah. about everything, yeah. um, <laughs> it's still it's still in its infancy in terms of research, yeah. and I'm sure it shows lots of prominence and. But that's no, not the prominent, predominant but, approach. But the CBT is for OCD is 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 the gold mm. standard yeah. treatment. Yeah. Okay, I'm just <laughs> going to go off my soapbox, yeah. and we're going to talk about the Sopranos. So everyone who I talked to about us doing this said, "Oh, the Sopranos." Mm. It was interesting because trying to find Sopranos clips 
they were mostly Tony Soprano monologuing. Okay. And not a lot of therapy interaction. Rather than, yeah, the dynamic yeah, of yeah. him and the therapist. So if you don't know Soprano's long-running HBO show about a mobster, a head of a the New Jersey mafia, and he goes to treatment mm. for, I think he has a panic attack in the first episode, mm. and goes to see a psychiatrist, Dr. Jennifer Melfi. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to play I'm going to play two clips. The reasons why will become clear. The first clip is doing what something that all therapists who work privately hate to do, <laughs> which is settling a bill for when a client doesn't turn up. Mm. So Tony Soprano is a gangster and a narcissist. So you can imagine how this might play mm. out. Will I see you next week? Unless you know some I don't. Just so you understand that I have to charge you for the missed session. What are you talking about? We agreed on that on our very first meeting. I know, but I just explained to you my situation. I understand, but it's important that we respect the agreement. What if I got hit by a car? But you weren't. I know, but what if? But you weren't. I I know that, but, but what if? You weren't. Why don't you answer my fucking question? I will not. You won't. All right, fine. Fine, here. Here you go. Because this is what it's all about, right? Motherfucking cock sucking money. Here. I don't understand that comment, and I don't appreciate being made to feel afraid. I don't appreciate feeling like I pour my heart out to a fucking call girl. Is that how you see me? Not until now. But but it's obvious you don't give a shit about my situation or what's happening with me. Otherwise, you won't be shaking me down. It'll show it as paid on your next month's bill. Fine. Stick it up your ass. Slightly amazed he didn't slam the door. Mm. So what you didn't see in that is that Tony Soprano stood up and while she was sitting, mm. she remained uh, incredibly still. Mm. And then he like got out the money and then like threw it on the floor. Mm. In an extremely disrespectful. And intimidating. Oh, very intimidating. Yeah. Way. yeah. Would you have handled it in the same way or differently? Uh, don't know. I mean, I think she handled it really well. Mm. I don't think that she sticks to her guns. I don't think that there's any. If anything, actually, I think she she stuck to it more. She didn't take the the bait of answering the question about if I got hit by a car. Mm. Right? So she's like, no, this is this is what it is. Mm. This is what the reality is. So what's interesting as a therapist is you do have this thing of like, you might know that someone has limited funds mm. or you might genuinely feel bad about the fact that they couldn't get in because mm. they always come in and blah, 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 blah. So it's not just about therapists getting paid, although it's important for us mm. to get paid because people pay for their milk, and mm. pay for their bread pay for their petrol and they can pay for their time with the therapist mm. they, they can do all those things you know they can pay for their drugs or they can mm. pay for their alcohol yeah. but it's also about role modeling look there are boundaries mm. and rules and, and responsibility responsibilities and particularly for a, a patient like him mm. where he will he'll take advantage take advantage yeah. but the difficulty is as a therapist is you could do that and you'd never see that patient again mm. and they might drop out of treatment mm-hmm. which is not good for them and as a business, you would... And someone, I can imagine working in a setting where you've got someone who's dangerous as well, you might be concerned about stirring that up too much as well. I'm thinking yeah, like about... we talked about in Gross Point Blank in yeah. the previous episode. Forensic setting. <laughs> yeah, you might forensic not... Setup. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, it might be difficult to push that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the benefit is I work for a public hospital, mm. so I don't currently yeah, have I don't this problem. Have when I work privately, I yeah, I don't know. I, was, I wouldn't say I was 100% on charging people if mm. they didn't turn up. Often, I think in like larger practices, it falls back to what the practice standard is. It's not so much the person individually having yep. to go, this is what it is. If someone else is doing the billing at the front counter, then... Have you have you worked privately? No. No. I remember the first time I had a private patient who paid me in cash. Mm. It was just such a odd feeling mm. of spending, doing, doing what I do and then them reaching into the wallet and giving me a wad of cash for, mm. for the thing. Like that was, it was just, it was such a strange thing. It would feel so <laughs> odd. Up, up until that point, like the only time I ever got paid was some numbers changed somewhere in a bank account. Mm, yeah. Rather so, than the person that you worked with handing over yep. that money. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was really, I remember that being really odd. Yeah. Odd jarring. Feeling. So the second clip that we're going to go to is where Dr. Melfi goes and sees her supervisor. They're talking about the clinical work that they do. As a psychologist, you go and see your supervisor and you talk about difficult cases and your emotional responses to them and helps you work through them, mm-hmm. work the cases out and offer you emotional support. And what's interesting here is her behavior. And I want you to contrast it with the one we just saw. Why do we love roller coasters, Jennifer? Scary movies? To experience the thrill of being terrified without the consequences. That's very good, Elliot. Great film, but uh, some terrifying moments. That's very perceptive. I'm concerned that treating a mobster provides you some vicarious thrill. It wasn't exactly vicarious. I had to go into hiding, remember? And wasn't that thrilling? Fuck you. You think this is funny. You smug cocksucker. Fuck you. So, Dr. Melfi seeing her supervisor, Dr. Elliot Kuffberg. So, what is it about this scene that you think links back to the previous one? So... What I think is going on here is what we call parallel process. So Dr. Melfi is acting in a way, in a manner very reminiscent of Tony Soprano. Mm. And the supervisor is raising probably an interesting point, which is you're getting a thrill out of treating a mobster. Mm. What's that about? Should you be doing that? Blah, 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 blah. Mm. Those are kind of questions that come up in, in supervision. And those can be threatening. And what she's doing is she's acting in the same sort of narcissistic antisocial way Mm. swearing abusing walking out and even her body language matches his if you look at the two clips her posture and the way that she you know sort of leans forward and then stands up and all that sort of thing matches the same and so this is an interesting thing right so you're a therapist you work with a client you go see your supervisor and then you will in describing the case Mm. will often start to act in the same way as your client, mm. in including not being able to explain the story coherently when your client can't explain things coherently, <laughs> yeah. getting emotional about stuff, so on and mm. so forth. And so that's interesting thing to think about and to uh, look at if you're a therapist and also if you're a supervisor. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. The next clip we've got is from The Sixth Sense. So... I'm immediately thinking people must know the twist of The Sixth Sense, right? It's been long enough. It's been a couple of decades. Mm. Mm. Yeah. The Sixth Sense focuses on a boy named Cole who's quite withdrawn and 
seems distressed about things and no one's really sure what's going on. And the scene that we're about to play is his first meeting with Dr. Crow. <laughs> he's withdrawn because he's got childhood schizophrenia. <laughs> <laughs> well, possibly. Can you actually have childhood schizophrenia? Mm, no. But lots of kids describe seeing ghosts mm-hmm. and interacting with ghosts and things like that. One of my offices used to be a hospital and the amount of kids who walk in the door and go, nap, can we go to your other office? Really? Yeah, I don't like it here. There's ghosts. Interesting. It's really interesting. I don't tell them that one of the offices used to be a morgue. I'm not um, coming into your workplace. <laughs> <laughs> but so this child, he, over the course of the movie, you hear him come out with the fact that he's seeing dead people and he's trying to get help from this doctor. And it's their first interaction and the doctor tries to play a bit of a, a game to engage him. In this game, the doctor is going to ask him to step forward and step backwards mm. because this is an audio thing. So what actually happens is he steps forward three times mm. and steps backwards three times. You'll hear the pauses. Yeah. And he responds with words when he steps backwards. And so you'll know when which ones are which. Hey. Want to sit? Don't feel like talking today? Want to play a game? It's a mind reading game. Here's how it works. I read your mind. If what I say is right, you take one step towards the chair. If what I say is wrong, you take one step back towards the doorway. If you reach the chair, you sit down. If you reach the door, you can go. Wanna play? Okay. When your mother and father were first divorced, your mom went to see a doctor like me, and he didn't help her. So you think I'm not going to be able to help you. You're worried that she said she told him things, things she couldn't tell anyone else. Secrets. You have a secret, but you don't want to tell me. Your dad gave you that watch as a present just before he went away. Got it in a drawer. Doesn't work. You keep pretty quiet in school, but you're a good student. You've never really been in any serious trouble. We were supposed to draw a picture. Anything we wanted. I drew a man. Got hurt in the neck by another man with a screwdriver. 
Saw that on TV, Cole? Everyone got upset. They had a meeting. Mom started crying. I don't draw like that anymore. How do you draw now? Draw. People smiling. Dogs running. Rainbows. They don't have meetings about rainbows. No. I guess they don't. What am I thinking now? I don't know what you're thinking now. I was thinking, you're nice. But you can't help me. So your thoughts on this scene? I have so much to say about this scene. <laughs> I think the first thing that comes to mind is that engaging kids can be tricky and you do have to do it in a different way than what you would do with an adult. Some of that kind of allowing space, playing a game, being a little bit odd can actually often do a fair bit to engage kids more than if you approach them in a way that's kind of enthusiastic or you know, like other adults approach them. So like, say, a teacher would approach them or things like that. Sometimes being a little bit more standoffish or a little bit more just still helps a lot. I think the other thing is, is that it seems like a pretty risky move to me to actually guess. I could probably use a similar thing of going, hey, do you ever have that thing where blah, blah, blah. But I think that it runs the risk of if you get it wrong, then you kind of break that rapport before it starts. Mm. Like the look on his face is real disappointment when he gets the first thing wrong. But then also I wonder, like watching that, I wonder whether he deliberately got one of them wrong. Because mm. like, he says something about, well, the watch he, the watch he kind of guessed at, mm. but then the school thing he should have known mm. whether he was saying something right or not. Like mm. if he'd done his research yeah. information when, when the referral came through and stuff like that. Yeah. So I wondered about, because he got the only The only problem is, do you remember? No. <laughs> what the, who he is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, Hunter's that, forgetting that, the key thing about this, that while the child assumes that mum has got a doctor to come to the house to see him, that actually the doctor is one of the ghosts that he's seeing. <laughs> so he hasn't got the referral information. I'm just talking about <laughs> if he was an actual therapist. But sure. Bring the plot of the movie into the discussion, Amy. (laughs) No, but you would have that information. And often the amount of times where parents will bring drawings or where they will get feedback from school saying it's a bit odd that they were drawing these things or even that they will, I'll just give them some, you know, pencils and paper and they will draw something like what this kid describes is it's really common and it's quite informative. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's interesting because I, I, when I hear you talk about your interactions with kids stuff and breaking down their rapport, mm. it does seem like this whole other magic trick to me. Mm. Although that said, like I think I watch my interactions with kids and younger people, 
versus say other adults and I think I'm better than the average bear. Mm. Yeah, so I, it does make me think, oh, you know, I reckon if I worked in it for a bit, but it's still, I watch this scene and it makes me feel, yep, yep, there's a whole other branch of psychology that I don't know how to do. Yeah. Like, and there, there are these tricks. And but I don't know that that's how everyone works necessarily yeah. who works with kids. It's interesting always to get feedback from kids who have seen other child psychologists about what they like or don't like. Yeah. And the ones who get along with me and like the way I work. Didn't like will, Yeah, or will say stuff like, she just seemed too excited to see me. Yeah. She doesn't know me. Yeah. And so there's a bit of, it's an interesting one of playing it cool sometimes can, can work. Yeah. And getting things wrong deliberately so that someone will correct you can sometimes work. But as an initial meeting, it's an interesting strategy to use. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Engagement with adults there's so many more social conventions around interacting. Mm. So you can get information, but people can be very uh, emotionally disconnected. Mm. And I think the skill, so like, whereas he, he, here he's not engaging, but as soon as he starts to talk, he's emotionally activated. Mm. Yeah. The thing with adults, you get people talking, but they're not emotionally activated. Mm. And until they sort of start suss you out a bit. Mm. And it's a different pattern. It's a different pattern. And I think the the skill as an adult therapist is within that mm. which is to sort of break through that to demonstrate that i'm smart mm. but i'm also competent and capable mm. and allowing people to unpack something themselves mm. a bit whereas kid stuff often it's i'm i'm willing to sit with you until you come out with it that's often the thing that's missing for them is that they've had lots of questions or lots of people kind of rushing them and if you just sit there quietly, they'll come out with stuff pretty quickly, more so than if you ask questions or things like that. The, the message needs to be, I will sit and wait with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. It's a different different approach and can sometimes be a difficult one if you've got burning questions and you just have to hold them in and yeah. wait for the right moment to then go, oh, and pretend to be sort of surprised about something. The other, yeah, the other thought I had is it reminds me of a problem that you have frequently which is that you will get a history about somebody mm. and you'll know something about them like in terms mm. of how they reacted to a diagnosis or how they reacted to like diagnosis of cancer or mm. how they reacted to other staff when this was going on or the referral gets handed over this like oh there was this story about them that there was this that and the other mm. and it's really interesting because it's you kind of have this tension of like saying oh yeah look I know all about you but really, actually, you don't want to do that because no. you want to be able to hear it from them, mm. have them tell you stuff. Yeah. Do you acknowledge that you knew it from somewhere else? Mm. Do you not? All these kinds of complex things that play out. Yeah. And you know, probably some of the time it doesn't doesn't matter either way, mm. but you can very easily rupture absolutely a fragile rapport mm. at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, when it's still fresh. Yeah. Yeah. So where are we going next? So we're going to go to a film that's all about therapy. It's a film that I had a very, very interesting relationship when I watched it the first time, mm. first couple of times. Like I love the film and I was didn't really rate the therapy scenes in it. Um, not until I listened to the School of Movies podcast where they described it mm-hmm. and talked about it. And then I had a whole new appreciation for the therapy and the portrayal of trauma mm. in this film. 
And so the film is called Goodwill Hunting. It's got Robin Williams in a role that I think he won an Oscar for. Mm. And it's got Matt Damon. Watching this clip, it's a, it's a very young Matt Damon. It is, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's not, it's, well, I guess it's 20 years ago now. And so this is a film where, so if you've not seen the film, really, really great. I, I have really went back and forth about whether to include this or not. The definitive discussion is the School of Movies podcast mm. about the therapy stuff. So I won't go into all of that. This is a, sort of a crux point in the film in terms of the therapy. The Matt Damon's character, Will Hunting, is going to see his therapist, uh, Dr. Sean Maguire, and he's been mandated to go to therapy as part of a court order for, I think he assaulted a police mm. officer or something. And he's been traumatised. And this is a, a moment of therapy where they are addressing the emotions around it. What is that? That's your file. Just send it back to the judge for evaluation. Oh. Hey, you're not going to fail me, are you? What's it say? Want to read it? Why? Have you had any uh, experience with that? 20 years of counseling. Yeah, I've seen some pretty awful shit. I mean, have you had any? experience with that personally yeah yeah I have sure ain't good my father was an alcoholic mean fucking drunk he'd come home hammered looking to wail on somebody so I'd provoke him so he wouldn't go after my mother and little brother Interesting nights, but when he wore his rings. Yeah, he used to just put a, uh, a wrench, a stick, and a belt on the table and just say, choose. Well, I gotta go with the belt there, Vanna. I used to go with the wrench. Why the wrench? Because fuck him, that's why. You're forced to find Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what is it, like, Will has an attachment disorder? Is it all that stuff? Fear of abandonment. Is that why? Uh, is that why I broke up with Skyla? I didn't know you had. I did. You want to talk about it? No. Hey, Will. I don't know a lot. You see this? All this shit. All right, don't fuck with me, Sean, not you. It's not your fault.
Why don't we start with the good and then we start with the mm-hmm. the more complicated components? Yeah. Uh, I think I, I really like that re- the repetitiveness of that. Mm. It's not your fault, and I think that I've certainly had experiences where perhaps not to that com- continually repetitive mm. multiple times, but I would have said things a couple of times mm. where you've been empathic and then you communicating. Look, hey, I you know it's okay. Mm. What what happened to you is 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 not is not your fault or, you know or you tried whatever it is that you could try to you don't need to carry this mm. shame so really what he's doing there is he's addressing shame mm. in a very very powerful way what do you what do you like about that scene i like the pacing of it i like that he's you know not rushing things that he's allowing space and silence uh i also i mean We'll get to the tricky bit, I'm sure, in a minute. But I think the some aspect of closer kind of physical proximity can be helpful sometimes. Mm. He he steps towards him. It's Matt Damon's character is sort of shutting off and avoiding eye contact and whatever, and he sort of slowly steps forward. And I quite I quite like that as a way of approaching things, like a physical gesture of I'm going to approach, yeah, right. regardless of you pushing me away huh. yeah, but they start off at the uh, opposite sides of the room mm. and he's flicking through his file and then as that becomes more emotionally intense mm. he's sitting the other side of the room on a shelf they're mm. both sort of standing yeah and then matt damon sort of backs himself into a corner mm. essentially yeah and he sort of steps forward so you i yeah. i wouldn't approach to the extent that he does no and i wouldn't approach face on no. I and I certainly yeah. wouldn't hug him, which is the where it crosses a line. But that... Yeah, they, they end up hugging and holding each other. Yeah. What I have done before is I've moved to the side of someone. So yes. I've moved slightly closer and to the side rather than directly straight on yeah. approaching them. And that has often been calming Yeah. in that kind of situation. It's the extent that it goes to where I go, nap. And if someone's backed against a wall, I wouldn't approach directly. I would not have. I'd go sideways. Particularly, this is a kid that's got a history of violence, yeah. like, and so, and a threatened animal in, in a corner, like, oh. will lash out, like, and yeah. that's, you know, that's not casting judgment on him or anyone it's, else. He's in five light. No, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. So, yeah, so like I watch that scene and I think this therapist is being very brave. Mm. I would say also reckless mm. uh, in that. Yeah, but because he gets really close. Yeah, and it, every time I see that, I tense up. Yeah, and, and he, uh, there's he a certain puts point his where I go around him first. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure there was no sort of discussion prior to that about. Yeah, is it okay to hug you in therapy? Mm. Um, yeah, it's not a generally done thing. No, no, but you know, and even with like a disclosure thing. But mm. the other problem I have with this scene is his personal disclosure mm. of his own trauma yeah. history. Yeah. That I have a I have a really really big problem with mm. as a therapist. Therapists shouldn't disclose that. No, uh, I think you know if a if it became the only circumstance where I would say that it would be appropriate would be if it became clearly apparent to the client 
that the therapist had that. Mm. And, you know, because clients can pick stuff. Yep. And they called it. Mm. Then I think it would be appropriate to say, yeah, I've got a history of that, but I'm not going to talk to you about mm. it. And there would be yeah. a way of talking about it. You certainly wouldn't go into detail or volunteer that information quite readily. Yes. Because people do ask. They ask about all sorts of different personal elements to your life they ask you if you've got kids or yep. they ask if you've got a partner or whatever yeah we had a long discussion that on a i think it might have been episode 40 mm. um you can't ask a psychologist that and we have a really really good discussion mm. so if you're interested in that have a listen to that mm. so th- i think this gets at in a lot of media portrayals of psychologists is that oh this therapist has realized that this patient is a special case and they're going outside the boundaries Mm. to do this thing and to do this thing will definitely help the patient and that's erroneous yeah and it's so risky like i i'm always moved by the emotion of that scene but i also feel tense throughout it of going there are so many sort of boundary crossings of going how is this actually going to play out yeah, it, it cause, makes cause me it, uncomfortable. Because it, it might work in the moment. Mm, but what about later? But what about later? What happens then? Yeah. But then also it might not actually work in the mm. moment. And there's moments where as a psychologist you do maybe disclose a little bit about yourself, mm. thinking maybe that would be helpful or not. And infrequently, more often than not, it's not helpful at all. And I think the thing that pops into my head with this example in particular is that certainly in my experience, a lot of the teenagers and kids that I see who have had traumatic experiences focus on looking after other people they they do whether that's physically or otherwise there's part of their deflection is to look after other people and if they pick up that there's something going on for a therapist then it just flips the role yeah straight away it has that risk of them going well I need to look after you mm-hmm. rather than... Which, which so, that, so they might do that to subvert therapy, mm. right? So to avoid talking about their own issues, but they might do it. They also might go, look, this is, I don't want to be in this place. Mm. This is, previously, I was coming to see this person and they were looking after me and now this is another person that's failed me. Yeah. This is why it's really, really, really bad mm. for this to happen. If you are listening and you've had, if you're, you've had a therapist that's talking a lot about their own personal life, mm. that's really probably not okay. Mm. And it's probably worth having a discussion with them about that. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. And the same with the physical contact side of things. I mean, the it's quite intense, the physical yeah. contact that's in this. So they end up hugging at the end. Mm. And I think where I have the problem with it is that he is approaching mm. and and he initiates the hug. Right. Rather than the client. Yeah. Whereas I think that if someone was very, very distressed, particularly mm. if it was towards the end of a session mm. and you were leaving and they were distressed mm. and the person looked like they needed a hug, yeah. then I think there's potential for that mm. to be okay. Yeah. I I'm probably not someone that would do that. Mm. I've I've sort of have the way I was trained was to have pretty strict boundaries. Mm. I'll I, do a hand on the arm yeah. but i'll always ask first yep. or ask would that be helpful have you ever hugged a patient no but i have kids hug me yeah and so i do the teacher rotation <laughs> yeah. uh, which is as they approach you quickly pivot to the side so they're hugging the your hip yep. and then we have regular conversations about boundaries and stuff like that some of them don't get it and often for kids it's a symptom of something else yeah I've rather had, than it being yeah. i've had a patient who's yeah. hugged me 
I hugged a patient who I'd worked with for about four years mm. on our last meeting. Yeah. Right. And that was appropriate for mm. that scenario. Yeah. You're not setting up that kind no. of dynamic. And it's there's, not a, there's a whole discussion therapy. around touch in therapy yeah. and perhaps we should do it. Mm. But once or twice where I put my hand on someone's arm, mm. you know, when they're upset, it changed the dynamic. Mm. And I wasn't empathizing with this person anymore. I was sympathizing. Yeah. Yeah. And and then your, all your parapsychologist was lost. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, that's why I don't do it. Yeah. I do, I do Occasionally, that. I've used touch in a way of checking, like someone will say, oh, no, I'm not, not dissociating anymore. And I'll kind of go, is it all right if I poke your toe through your shoe? Yeah. And to kind of check whether they're there or not. And they'll go, oh, yeah, I can feel that. But it's kind of got a different. It doesn't have that intimacy to no, it. It doesn't that's have. Assessment. It's yeah. assessment that's and not, it's distance. That's assessment. That's not therapeutic. Yeah. yeah. The. My uh, comment was I did have a patient. I've had randomly patients hug me. Mm. I did have one patient hug me and this patient had just told me that she just had whooping cough. Oh, no. <laughs> Get away from me. Terrific. Uh, that, was, that was many years ago. <laughs> job I'm no longer in. But So that's our thoughts on Goodwill Hunting. We're, we're going to go to Newsroom. Newsroom. Yes. So Newsroom is a show that is set in a newsroom. Surprise, surprise. And one of the lead characters is Will McAvoy, who is the lead anchor. And he's been having difficulties with ex-partner who has started working in his workplace again. And that stirred up a bunch of stuff for him. This is a session with his therapist about that. And he's quite, quite avoided. If you stand in the rain without a jacket, you're going to get a cold. And if you have a physically abusive father who abandons you and your family, you're going to be a thousand times more sensitive to betrayal than the average person who's already extremely sensitive to betrayal. I miss encyclopedias. I always wanted to have a full set of encyclopedias. You, know, you pull down S off the shelf, flip to a page. You read about, I don't know, the Salic law and why a woman can't inherit the French throne. You can Google it. That's my point. You have to know what you're looking for. You can't browse for anything anymore. Anyway, last night I was looking up signal intelligence intercepts and whether they leave a fiber optic footprint. Is it important that I know what that meant? No. We've got a whistleblower giving us a big story and we have to vet him. But what happened was I was reading about fiber optic footprints and a couple of clicks later I was on a relationship advice website called Help Me Rhonda. A woman wrote to Rhonda saying that her husband was cheating on her and Rhonda suggested that the woman had to examine what her role was in the cheating. It made me crazy. I mean, do you think it could possibly have been the woman's fault? Are we saying that now? What I don't believe is that a couple clicks took you from fiber optic footprints to help me, Rhonda. You went to a relationship advice website, just say so. It was the middle of the night. There was nothing else to read. Except the entire rest of the internet. Do you and Rhonda honestly believe that I share some of the blame or even a small part of the blame for Mackenzie cheating with Brian? Do you? No. Fine. Because that's about the dumbest thing I've ever read. And I'll tell you what else, I don't even think Rhonda's her real name. Yeah, look. Maybe it is. I don't know, but she's a moron. You weren't part of the equation. Ruined a perfectly good Beach Boys song. So what are your thoughts on that? I, I find his style quite interesting, the therapist's style. And... I feel like he's quite antagonistic. Mm. He's he's matching the tone of his client. There's something that feels like sparring rather than a conversation that's reflective or that's getting him to pause or any of those things. The the times where he lets out little bits of information that would actually be quite relevant. What was the emotion that was leading to him looking up an advice website or things like that? 
aren't really followed through with. I think the other thing that the thing that draws me to this scene is how often clients will sort of draw on the resources in the room to deflect mm. <laughs> that kind of like, oh, look at that picture. I haven't <laughs> seen a bird like that for ages. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would love to have a room with like encyclopedias. In it. Oh, yeah. The, the books in that is just... Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little discussion about how we'd like to set up our dream therapy room. Mm, with a ladder that's one of those movable ones. Oh, wow. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but I think the core thing is about those missed chances to go deeper and that because he responds with comments that are challenging or that are focusing on the behavior side of things he misses out on the chance to yeah. go into emotion there's actually there's a clip a bit later on where the which is quite humorous the matching works much better whereas mm. actually i think he's done he's doing it really poorly mm. and i think that the therapist is pissed off and annoyed with this client mm. and he's and he's totally missing he's like he's like He's like, oh, I don't believe that you just happened to go onto it. No, there's no point no. of actually. He's just we all know that. He's just yeah. being smart. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be like, I'm like, oh, you're right. So, like, mm. what do you think about that? Mm. Like, what happened there? And mm. blah, 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 blah. Because also his approach means that then Will lumps the online advice columnist with him. Yeah. Like he says, he, he then goes, well, so you and Rhonda think, yeah. think this. Rather than opening up a discussion there. Yeah, where he's okay. clearly threatened, where he's thinking, oh, maybe I caused mm. this person to cheat on me. Mm. And, you know, he's clearly having a problem thinking and processing that. Mm. Whether it's true or not, it's irrelevant, mm. right? It's the emotional content and the thought patterns and stuff that are relevant. Yep. Yeah. All right. Next clip, we are going to go with... <laughs> uh, so... We're going for a very serious clip. We next, are going to we? a serious yeah. clip. Uh I happen to absolutely love the comedy of Will Farrell. I understand many people don't. And this is a clip from Blades of Glory, where Chaz Michael Michaels is a champion figure skater. And he has all sorts of interesting personal problems. And one of them is that he's a sex addict. And he's going to group therapy for, I think it's probably a support group more than a therapy group anyway yeah he's going to gr a sex addict group yeah Chaz would you like to start the day off by sharing I was just trying to find some peace a haven a place where I could feel safe and then what happened well she was my yoga instructor so I knew she was limber yeah. but <clears throat> you Chaz you realize this would just set you back and further hurt your progress in maintaining control over your libido, correct? Yes. Thank you, Taylor. Definitely. Until her friend, massage therapist, walked in the door, naked. Easy, Chaz. A big bottle of canola oil, a monkey who was trained to work on a video camera. And she rocked my world. Okay. Guys, Chaz, you, I have asked you to leave before and I don't want to do it again. Taylor, come on, man. Let's, uh, let's just move on. Who'd like to talk about chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, etc.? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, <laughs> the challenges of doing group work in any <laughs> therapy, I'm just going to push on through, um, is that people, people will interact with other people in the room mm. and you will lose control of that as a therapist. Mm -hmm. And... 
Yeah. So the, the therapist there was good. He's like, he kind of redirected, he redirected, like redirected. Mm. He and contains. He contained. And then when that started, he's just like, all right, so let's talk about gonorrhea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he sets consequences for yeah. what will happen. He does a pretty good job. So, and, and what's interesting is with group work is that people can turn up, depending on what the group work is, can turn up looking for the thing that they're actually Mm. quite unquote seeking help for so so the classic one was i was doing a drug and alcohol support group and one of the guys i was co-facilitating it one of the guys who was there said yeah look i i came last week because i was hoping i was hoping i could meet someone who could hook me up with some gear Mm. Or like I've heard of 13-stepping, which is so there's the 12-step program for AA. Yeah. And really, whereas someone can be 13-stepping, they come to an AA group because they want to meet a partner. Mm. So, yeah. So, it's, so, it's an interesting dynamic. And there's the end of this scene, which we won't play. Is the therapist is leaving and everyone is outside the, the building and they're mm. all like hooking up. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, come on! <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to go to another film that both... Uh, Amy and I love, which is... Yeah, Lies and the Real Girl. So, Lies and the Real Girl is about a guy who's quite socially isolated and he orders a doll to be delivered that forms essentially like his girlfriend. It's like a mannequin, yeah. Like a mannequin. And he's gone to see his GP, who in this scene functions very much like a therapist, which is why I've decided to include it. And he's describing issues with touch and so the, he talks about Bianca. Bianca is the... The doll. The doll. And he's been saying to his doctor that Bianca is sick. So they've got the doll in the other room mm. getting quote-unquote treatment. Mm. And while the treatment's going on, the doctor is talking to Lars. Mm. And I think it's because she's insecure. But she's just always trying to hug everybody. You know, some people don't like that. Some people don't like to be hugged. But she doesn't realize that. She takes it personally and thinks, uh, you know, it hurts her feelings. I don't know what to do about that. Do you? But it's such a comfort sometimes just to have somebody's arms around you, don't you think? No. Come on, it feels good. It does not feel good. It hurts. Oh. Like a cut or a, a bruise? Like a burn. Like like when you go outside and your feet freeze and then you come back in and they thaw out. It's like that. It's almost exactly like that. Same with everybody? Well, not really with Bianca. But everyone else. So you don't let people touch you. Lars, isn't that hard to get away with? No, not really here, because I have all these layers. And that helps. Look, we can't change Karen. But I can help you. In a way, the the way that she approaches him is quite similar to what I spoke about with how you approach kids. Yeah. <laughs> in that she's, you know, she's sitting on her desk, eating her lunch, just seems to be having a casual conversation, but actually 
she's assessing for a whole bunch of different things that are going on and while at the same time seeming like interested but not overly invested yeah and i quite like that approach yeah 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 if it's I, I like that. And she's engaging him. And actually, she, what she's really doing is assessing, mm. is probably what I would say. Yeah. But she's allowing she's allowing enough space for him just to talk. Yeah. He seems quite... Because he's brought Bianca for treatment rather than himself, it's not like he's got a burning issue that he's wanting to discuss. It's not wanting to seek treatment for himself. So it's a casual chat that happens to be happening. Mm. Then it leads into her doing yeah. some further testy mm. things with him. Absolutely. I was anti this clip initially Mm. because she's not a therapist. Yeah. And you had thoughts about that. My thoughts were that the first time people engage with something therapeutic, often it's not with a psychologist or a therapist or whatever. They might tell their GP or a teacher or whatever it might be. I think also there's such a scarcity of trained mental health practitioners and particularly this is set in a rural area it might be that the only access for him to have help with anyone is with his GP. Mm. Yes, it's not great that she's not trained and that he's got quite a complex issue, but also he seems to feel comfortable with her mm. and she's exploring the issue and she's not jumping to conclusions. No, she, she, and she handles it very well, yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, I'm, I, think I'm, I, think it's, I think it's a good example of the fact that people don't just get treatment and assessment from Mm. a psychologist or a Mm. psychiatrist in fact more often than not they don't Mm. so i think that that's pretty reasonable and you know gps and other doctors do phenomenal mental health work Mm. every single day and they do it without training they have to kind of sort of figure it out as they go along Mm. it's quite interesting i think yeah the the thought i had was like (laughs) when i was watching that was this i'd love to just be able to eat during my sessions (laughs) She, she, had, she had like a sand. Well, you didn't say yeah. like she's got a sandwich. sandwich. She got like what well, looked like a uh, like a, a Tupperware container full of tin fruit. Yeah, That's what it looked like. Yeah, and then also like a Coke. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, you know, yeah. She's know. really working her way through lunch. Uh, it looks like a Vegemite sandwich, but it's yeah. American, so I'm not sure. Probably it would not be Vegemite. No, you never eat with if, your clients. If any any uh, American listeners eat Vegemite? <laughs> Two shrinks pod. Just let us know. <laughs> Do you ever get the chance to eat with your clients? No, I might have no. bring a cup of tea in, yeah. a, a cup of coffee, but that that would be it. I'll eat with them as a therapeutic thing. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah. Like often, kids come after school; they haven't eaten anything. They're grumpy and can't pay attention, and I'll chuck some snacks their direction. Yeah, and both of us will sit there and snack. But yeah. I think that a, would be the exception to the rule. I think as an adult therapist, there's it's a, not a good look. <laughs> Well, it's not a good look, but also you're really, I guess, encouraging people to self-care mm. and then to sort of be like being the one that's giving them stuff is... It doesn't is, work. If, if my treatment philosophy is not actually no. helping them. No. You should be saying, I can walk you down to the cafeteria. Mm, and you can, can get buy something. something. Yeah. Particularly yeah. when you well, like have heard their stomach grumbling. I'm yeah. Like, did you want to go and get something to eat? Yeah. How about you yeah. do that? And I'll do that with teenagers, but with... We'll have a discussion Kids. about like how about next time you have something before you come in because I can hear that something grumbling. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the amount of times that parents bring their kids to session and they haven't given them any sort of after-school snack, and then we try and do work and we can't get anywhere, yeah. it's then like, well, I will well, have a draw. Yeah. Well, yeah, but see, that yeah, that's, makes a lot of sense to me. It's also yeah, it's the setting as well as the demographic. Yep. Yeah. So we're gonna go to our last clip, mm-hmm. which is actually my brother suggested suggested this TV show. This is not a TV show I watch very often. <laughs> but 
but this is two and a half men and Charlie is going to see his shrink. Mm -hmm. Hey, Charlie, how's it going? Boy, you really blew it this time. <laughs> Did I now? How so? I've fallen in love with Chelsea. Oop, my bad. Damn right you're bad. There were plenty of medications that would have turned me into a happy little potato, but would you prescribe them? No. You said I had to get in touch with my feelings and express them to the people I care about. Sorry, I must have been drunk. No, no, it's too late for excuses. I'm sensing something happened with Chelsea. Oh, you're good. I'm sliding anything past you. Hey, last night I dreamt I was a giant hot dog jumping through a donut that looked like my mother. What do you suppose that means? All right, Charlie, you've made your point. Now tell me what happened. We can go back to the donut dream later. It wasn't a real dream. I was being sarcastic. Oh, I know, but the fact that you chose that particular imagery is a little troubling. <laughs> now what happened with Chelsea? I told her I loved her, and you know what she said? This process isn't really about me guessing. <laughs> she said, thank you. Interesting. How did that make you feel? No, 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 no more feelings. <laughs> you tried it your way. Now just take out your little prescription pad and start scribbling. You don't need medication, Charlie. You're actually making tremendous progress. Are you not listening to a thing I say? I drift in and out. <laughs> upset about this tells me you've come a long way from the guy who first walked into this office the guy who first walked into this office was a happy-go-lucky fully functioning man whore and i want him back i'm guessing you don't mean that oh now you're guessing a minute ago it was that's not how the process works a minute ago it didn't <laughs> so are you still seeing chelsea well, of course i'm still seeing her but now the relationship's totally screwed why is that? She knows I love her. The whole balance of power is completely out of whack. Huh. Okay, I really don't like it when you give me the huh. Huh. Now you just screw with me, right? There's no sliding anything past you. I feel that she's saying what every therapist has wanted to say mm -hmm. to the client at some point. Yeah, that kind um, of just blunt, yeah. sarcastic. Are there any clients where you can do something like that with? Yeah. I, or is sarcasm not, not part uh, of your repertoire? Yeah, no, definitely. But that is, I mean, that clip, we only played it was about two and a half minutes. Mm. So but that was, that's that's actually quite a long time. That's a to lot. Be, to be s sarcastic. Yeah, to. I couldn't. And I was thinking about this clip because I did have an experience in the recent week where I had a client and there was, a, there is that sarcastic, jovial kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And... I was sarcastic and then I went for another sarcastic thing. I was like, oh, no, I've done one too many. Yeah. And yeah, you can do one, but not and repeated. Or, yeah. Or, or like, not a certain, yeah. Or like, so when the tone changes. Mm. And so it's kind of risky mm. to, to do this stuff. But what's interesting is that she's matching, matching, and then he gets too angry or too annoyed. And so he can, and she contains it. Mm. Actually, no, no, come on. I understand that, but let's mm. get back to it. Mm. And then he amps up a bit and he's like, you know, so how are you feeling? Like, how yeah. are you feeling? Like, is that kind of like inquiring? She brings it back to what the focus should be. Yeah, inquiring and, invalid and validating what's mm. going on for him. So, yeah. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I haven't been able to, I can't think of a situation where I would be sarcastic for that for that long or that kind of 
matching it in that way. But there's certainly, particularly when teenagers are dismissive or kind of say, oh, but that's not a problem, I'll I'll often come back with things like, oh, no, no, neither of us think it's a problem. Like, there's nothing to worry about here. And then they'll have a laugh and then I'll kind of go, okay, so shall we actually talk about this? So yeah. it often will break the tension yeah. or will draw attention to the fact that we both know what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> and then it allows stepping into something else rather than it being ongoing banter kind of vibe. Yeah. Which I think is the difference. Yeah, I think it's interesting as you talk about the on- oncology, the cancer work that I do, I th- when it's about that stuff, I don't think there's much space for mm. sarcasm mm. with it. I mean, occasionally there might be a little bit around certain issues, but but I think with like more personality relationship mm. stuff yeah yeah i think for some reason that comes up more so maybe mm. that's maybe says something about the way that i work yeah and might also be topic wise Top, like topic wise yeah. or something like that where the sensitivity is or where the, yeah, yeah that kind of stuff but also like i've been told that i frequently communicate stuff non-verbally <laughs> yes you do without <laughs> actually saying anything mm. like I'll, I'll communicate in tone <laughs> not in word yeah <laughs> it was one of my colleagues said to me recently <laughs> yep was cutting and accurate accurate (laughs) (laughs) anyway Mm, yep i quite like that she's able to wrangle him though she is still even though yes he's sort of ranting a bit she's still containing and leading things in a particular way and making sure that it's not just a unfiltered ramble for as long as he wants well no we're here for this focus kind of part to it have you ever had that with (laughs) <laughs> with um, someone walking in the door and mm. saying, blah, 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 straight <laughs> yes. away. <laughs> like, yes. Uh, and I, you know, where my office is, I have to walk past a whole bunch of other offices. And so there's one door that leads to then a corridor, then the door to my office. Mm. And in that office in particular, I will often have to stop people from starting the session right from the first door. Yeah, right. <laughs> and from just because I know that there are a whole bunch of clients and other clinicians and whatever in that corridor who can hear everything yeah. and they're just bursting to get it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's I, always I, interesting when it's the first session, like an assessment, Yeah, and you don't even make it past introductions before they're wanting to launch into things. So it's kind of like, I just need to pause and get through like consent and confidentiality. Yeah. and Yeah, because like, cause, <laughs> cause I, I have a spiel, any, any patient of mine who's... who's well, any, anyone who's been a patient of mine will know that I have a spiel that I have around confidentiality mm. within the hospital and this is the limits of my service and mm. blah, 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 blah. And I, I, I openly say to people, so look, I'm just going to have to interrupt you yeah, because me I, too. Need, I, need to, I need to get this out of my way mm. because I'm going to be anxious and thinking about it and I'm not going to listen to anything you yeah. have to say until I've got it out of my head. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, sort of owning that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it does give him a chance to have a bit of a breather. Yeah. Before then, and also just sort of frame it and say, "Look, this is where look. it's at." Yeah, because you can get people who are launching into a discussion about a whole of stuff mm. when really, actually, you might need to do some other assessment. Yeah, uh, about some other things yeah. like safety. Yeah, for example. And, yeah, and yeah, which is where it's often tricky with kids stuff that people want to disclose something that will mean that I have to, you know, call child protection or something like that in the first had, two minutes. And you haven't had the child protection conversation. Yet. Yeah. So I have to be blunt and stop them and go, yep. 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 I want to hear about this, but first. (laughs) Yep. So we hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode and hopefully you can see why we thought 
it, it's interesting because it even though these portrayals can be problematic in a number of ways they show a whole lot of stuff about the work oh. that we do and yeah. why we love doing it and mm-hmm. what we find interesting so i mm-hmm. hope you enjoyed it if you've got any suggestions about any shows that we've missed or you'd like us to do two shrinks pod at gmail.com or on twitter you can follow us there as well what we would really like you to do is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you rate it. Or particularly if you like this show, tell someone about it. Share the link to it on your social media because that gets more listeners and we really, Amy and I, really enjoy doing this show. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.